Yeah, so anyway, so thanks for coming on to my uh, my humble little podcast. Did you say the other day this is the first one you've done? Is that right? Um, well, I I have done one with um, Doc Lewis with Greg Vinyl, uh was the, his first female guest when with the um, Australian lure fishers. Okay. That was a long time ago, and I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I'm a I'm a fairly fresh wow. um, podcast person. <laughs> that kind of surprises me, to be honest, because you're kind of like a bit of a you know per- fishing personality, so to speak, in the Australian uh, fishing industry. I oh, surely like you would have done one by now for sure. <laughs> well, like I said, yeah, Greg. Greg got on to me early. Um, we go back a fair way, Greg and I. And so I think as he was cutting his teeth in the game, uh, I was a fairly unintimidating female to approach. So uh, I got in early there and I was as nervous as hell, I will say, um, because I don't see myself as a as a fishing personality. I, I still see myself as a clumsy freaking teenager, you know, tripping over everything and, and stumbling for words. And I I get a little bit embarrassed when um, when folks get excited about meeting me. That's uh, yeah, that that's a really weird weird world. But um, and so when I get approached, it's sort of like really me. Okay, well I'll I'll do the best I can. <laughs> so, so so thank you for having me along. It's really cool. Oh well, at least you don't have imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sometimes I do. When yeah. when people come up and and um, and speak to me, and especially being Starlo's wife, you know, I, I sort of feel like a lot of the attention I get um, might be a little bit of a hangover, um, yeah. which gets up my nose because we met through fishing and I operate in a very, very different sphere to him. Um, and like everyone else, I just think he's an absolute damn legend although I will admit I was a little bit late to the party because when we met I had no idea who he was you know <laughs> so it's oh, probably really? why he, yeah <laughs> I'm from Darwin and we we just don't do the whole hero um thing we we tend to expect everyone to treat everyone on the same level and so um yeah I I just had I just went to a, a, um, a soft plastics clinic to learn how to use the bloody things, you know, um, and had no idea okay. who was um, who was uh, buying me a beer. <laughs> yeah, right. oh, we'll yeah. get to that because I was going to ask you, you obviously how you guys met and all that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just thought because um, I've been following you for a while, obviously since you came on the scene, and um, I always thought like, here's a lady who's likes her fishing, um, also, you know, your art, your creative side, which I do as well, and, yeah. you, and you like to talk, apparently, you like to have a chat, so I was thinking, uh, <laughs> there's yeah, a lady I'd like to sit down with and have a chat <laughs> to one day. Mm. Well, uh, yeah. the other thing I like is a coffee, so if you don't mind, I will, oh, yeah, no, I will cool. um, sip away. Um, yeah, no, I tried to get some dirt off you, um, uh, off Starlo, off uh, on you, and um, <laughs> he basically, you know, he, he well, I had to laugh, he made me laugh. He basically just said, no, nah, mate, you'll be right. Like, she loves to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I do. You know, he, he keeps me cooped up in the house and... <laughs> I don't get to I don't get out much so yeah it's it's not no not at all yeah, yeah, <laughs> but we yeah. are fairly reclusive and and we um we just love each other's company so when I do get the opportunity to talk with somebody else if they're interested in what I've got to say I can rabbit on forever so yeah, yeah cool 
Well, yeah, so I want to sort of, like I said, I've always been interested. I was like, oh, there's a lady I'd like to just, like, learn a bit more about and thought I would share that, obviously, with my listeners as well. Um, so, yeah, I thought we'll sort of start um, way back at the beginning and then come to the fishing. So I'd be interested to know um, where, can you tell me a bit about where you grew up and, and where you went to school and stuff like that? For sure, yeah. I grew up in Darwin. Um, I wasn't born there. So um, I first started school in North Albury Primary and went on to, I did, I moved around a lot. My father is a chartered accountant and in the early days, um, way back, uh, way back, way back, way back when I was a young girl, so early 70s, um, as South Australians professionals got sent up to the Northern Territory to cut their teeth or to Darwin in particular and so um, that was my first jaunt up to the Territory as an 18 month old I don't remember the trip just for your mention. but uh, it basically young professionals got sent up to the frontier basically to do two years um, it, uh, I guess it was yeah, just cut their teeth and prove their loyalty, and then we got moved back. So, um, kindy for me was at um, Moyle Kindergarten, which is a suburb in Darwin, pre Cyclone Tracy, and then we moved south six weeks before Cyclone Tracy sold up, and um, escaped all the drama. But without Cyclone Tracy the family wouldn't have gone back because um, like many people, my mother just wanted what she couldn't have. (laughs) So um, she basically made the decision as soon as the news came through on that fateful Boxing Day that we would be going back. So I did my first first stint grades one and two were at Aubrey, so North Aubrey Primary School. And then once upon a time, there was a brand new school called Hume Primary School, which I don't even think still exists anymore. Um, And I was one of the first cohort there. Then we moved over to Yarrawonga in Victoria on the the Murray. And, yep, the old clock museum that's at 21 Lynch Street there. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, that was my house. So um, I – yeah, I – Used to my bro- two brothers and I stayed in the attic. That was our bedroom up up the top, and um, we had some great times there. And then we moved back to Darwin, and um, the family now has four generations up there. So, yeah. um, so, so how old are you now when you moved back to Darwin? Uh, grade four. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know what age that was. That's <laughs> you're asking me yeah. to delve too far into my memory, but yeah, yeah grade yeah. four, no, right? I moved yeah. up. Yeah, and um, and so basically set our roots down there, like many people after Cyclone Tracy. Um, it's a very addictive sort of laid back culture up there, and yeah. very uh, multicultural. A lot of Asian influence, which it needs because its climate is entirely different to down south and um and so it once it gets under your skin it's kind of hard to leave so a lot of people a lot of the families up there are long long um have long roots and were moved back up there to rebuild the city after cyclone tracy and a lot of them are still there yeah okay yeah it makes sense i think tassie um has the same kind of pull on people there's Mm. something about places that are like 
a bit different to everywhere else and a lot of people say it but they come from those types of places i noticed they'll say yeah. it's it gets under your skin it's hard to it's, it's hard to go anywhere else <laughs> it is yeah i moved away uh, so many times with the intention of never going back but um yeah it, it uh it family always draws you home doesn't it and um yeah, too. yeah do you think it's also something to do with like those places you tend to be a bit more connected to nature yeah there is a there is an element of that although um darwin with the crocodiles um it was that they've they've sort of insert themselves as a very big barrier um yeah, you have a, you develop a different sort of level of respect um and a fascin um, it's a morbid fascination with nature but deep 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 respect with regards to how dangerous things are i mean i'm now on the far south coast of new south wales and i still won't go in the water i just grew, i just grew yeah. up where it's either there's either tiger and bull sharks or there's um box jellyfish or there's yeah crocodiles and so it's i just your... I swim but yeah no <laughs> it's in your dna yeah it's not relaxing at all i still jump at the side of a of a log on a dam you know on a dam um yeah. mountain whatever yeah, no, i know what you mean because like being an outdoorsman like you know i've been lucky enough to be all around the go all around the country and fish and i you know when i was up north there was no doubt about it it's a, just a different kind of level of you know respect and you just and like i'm always super careful of that stuff but you know like i remember like even just when i was out at um arnhem land fishing i just leant over to quickly like wash my hands in the water you know after letting <laughs> yeah. the fish go and my guide like yeah. told me off, you know oh, he said sure. he was like dude dude what what the fuck kind of thing yeah and like totally. and i'm super careful but yeah you just you just don't think about level. it yeah, that's right. And teaching um, women to fish from down here, um, I, I um, at, when we take them up, you know, when I was doing the Bar Apprentice program, we'd take them up and prove them at the Secret Women's Business Barra Challenge up there. And so teaching them how to release a fish down here, we were <laughs> oh, not yeah, teaching. Yeah, we weren't teaching them to swim them. Yeah. We were teaching them to spear them, yeah. and um, and I've got photos of one of my dear girlfriends, who of the girl who's become a really close friend of mine, Nadia Taylor, um, spearing a, a a brim into the water, which is just an, a hilarious, <laughs> a hilarious um photograph. But it's because that's how we taught her in yeah. the first instance, because taking them up to Darwin. Just mm. something you just don't really think about, I guess, until you go up there and. The one thing I loved about the NT was like, out of all my travels, that and maybe a couple of other spots, other spots where like it feels like that's how it was before people got here. Yeah, there are spots that you can find that are still like that for sure. And it was Absolutely. just the prehistoric nature of it. And look, as you know, right, like I don't care what anybody says about crocs, right? TV, that's one thing, right? When you yeah. see those things on the bank, like it come just, at you yeah a whole like even like when we went up there right because me and my mate chris we were filming and i had a cameraman with me and when we went to the croc park in town they in and you know said oh you can get in the thing and go down and what no joe <laughs> like, yeah i was just like there's just no way i'm doing that you know what I mean? <laughs> and then even when we're out the back so when they did one of their shows 
um, they let us stand, come like backstage kind of thing and film from yeah. behind us. And then once the croc made its way into the main pond and the guys sort of like feeding it, they said, oh, come in, come in here. You know, and we're not. We were just like, no, we're cool back here. <laughs> yeah, respect, dude. Yeah. And when you it's... see the site, like the thing that freaked me out, Joe, was the size of that thing and how fast it moved. It yeah, just... that's the power of that tail. People look at them and think, oh, they're, they're going to be cumbersome. But you put um, neutral buoyancy in um, in any part of that creature and yeah. even if it's, um, if its head and top part is out on the bank, it's still got the most powerful tail known to man in the water and it can launch. Yeah, they, they are... Um, it's a visceral, visceral experience, isn't it? A visceral reaction yeah. when you come face to face with one. Oh, um, like, and even like, I don't know what you think about this. I was going to ask about this. My mate Hero, um, and as you know, Hero, yeah, he's he, he legend. Like, I think sometimes, like, I think to myself, they do. You got balls, like, yeah, for know. sure. Like, I wouldn't do it seriously. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the yeah. time, the water is pretty clear. Like at the, I noticed at the moment the water's real clear, but sometimes when that water's muddy and he's like like knee deep, I'm like, nah. Nah, absolutely. Absolutely, I'm with you. But, um, you know, Hero, they're a special breed, those those dudes, you know. Yeah, the, um, hardcore. Yeah, I've got a video up on um, – on my YouTube somewhere, which I haven't, I haven't touched um, my YouTube channel in years. I assume it's still floating out there somewhere. I think it's called Only One Jojo Goose or something like that. And um, it's a video that I made of a, um, a trip that Steve and I did out on Corroboree Billabong. And we, we, um, it was in an era when we could get into what's called secret or car park, um, lagoon and um and we went in and it's an it's an epically gorgeous part of of the lagoon it's a backwater on the billabong and you've got to um yeah. weave the boat through these tall man-sized lotus lilies that are brushing past you like when you're when you're going four-wheel driving yeah, in the bush yeah. you know and you can see tarp and spilling and and bouncing and all that ahead of the boat and and getting more and more the further you push in it's like going into a whole new world you know that yeah. no one's trodden before and um we were in there and we were um, fly casting for tarpon and um, I was helping Steve make a video so I was actually filming this big 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 resident croc um, appeared and slowly made its way towards the boat and mm. um, Steve thought it was great fun um, because it was it was chasing down his hooked tarpon <laughs> right and snatching him off his line and um, I, as a Territorian, was pretty epically frightened. I put my rod down and just focused on filming for him. So visualise, if you will, I'm at the back of our, at that time we were running the cross country, and I'm at the back of that vessel. The um, the Yamaha motor is behind me and it's tipped up slightly. I'm oh, crouched, yeah. crouched, crouched on the back, um, on the transom area in the boat but um crouching there and i'm videoing so the most important thing you can do when there's a, a croc around is make sure your center of gravity is low and if they're particularly aggressive move to the center of the boat and stay down right so yeah. i'm i'm squatting on my haunches and i'm filming what's going on and it was all fun and games until the croc's attention switched 
and it had decided that I looked okay. And you can yeah. tell what a, you can tell what a croc is focused on, right? And so um, its body language, everything changed. Steve couldn't tease it up, no matter what, and it was just moved, drifting cl- further and further towards the back of the boat. And I started saying, to "Steve, hey, we need to move. This this croc's locked on me." And he's like, "Ah, you'll be right." And I said, "No, no, it's not paying any attention. I really think that you need to um, get on and move the boat." Yeah, and uh, you know, get your get your line out of the water so we can move the boat. Get your line out of the water so we can move. Eventually, he finally got sick of me nagging him, and he wound his line in, jumped on, and started the boat. And sure enough, as we've got up on the plane, he's looked back, and I've got on video. I've moved the camera to video this croc, and like you said, they can move when they want to. It's got up on the plane along with us as it's tried to launch. <laughs> Right, and yeah. so Steve's gassed it, and we've got away from the croc. But this is what they do: they they're like a great oh white God. in that they'll identify one target yeah. in even if there's a whole heap, right? And they'll just focus on that one target, and they'll stalk that one. And this one was stalking me, and I and you can see me even as the plane as the boat's getting up on the plane. You can't see maybe you see the camera just goes absolutely squiffy as I've launched myself from the back of the boat to the front of the boat because this thing's coming at me. It's launched. Yeah, right. Yeah, Mate. they are just and it's incredible. The most, people don't realise, like, when people ask me what's the most scared you've ever been, mm. there's only really a couple of times in my life, and one of them was like, yeah, we are not encounter like that, but up north here fishing with Sean Taylor, um, up Liverpool at Arnhem Land. Mm-hmm. And we came into this area, <clears throat> it was like a big pool sort of thing with a few snags on one side. And there was a croc sort of like, you know, doing the old like pop up and down. And then, mm. he, and then he was coming closer and then he started like, you know, when they made the water shake. And then yeah, when he went, yeah. and then, and then Sean, I was like, should we be going? And he was like, no, no, we're cool. He's just letting us know that this is his spot kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then when it went under the water and you didn't know where it was, like, holy shit, man. Like, I don't, like, I've been in the water with sharks and I would put it up there with that. Like, I realised realised that all he had to do was just put one paw up and just tip us all in the water and we were screwed, you know. And it was, it was an, and then he comes up on the other side of the boat Mm. inside the snags and then Sean was like, "Oh yeah, we we, probably, yeah, we need we to move now." Move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my shit, my man. protocol. Next level. Yeah, that's exactly right. My protocol when I'm skippering a boat in croc waters is I tell the girls right right from where we go that if we feel that a croc is doesn't want us in its territory, if I say center of the boat, yeah, I mean yeah. center of the boat, and I will move us because you see them and they'll put the bubbles up. You know, they make the water yeah. effervescent around them and they'll swim underneath your boat. It doesn't take much for them. We've had, I think, two or three boats in the SWB have been um, bitten wow. by crocs. It's and, crazy. you know, that's it. They're out of action because they puncture the hull. Wow, what a raw, <laughs> raw part of Australia. But, it is. So it did is. you – so then you just stayed in Darwin after that for good, high school and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have an advertising agency up there and um, and uh, worked um, 
you know, just, just part of the community and, um, and all of that. And it was just through getting into fishing, really, that changed my life where I decided I was so happy. I loved my job. I absolutely loved being in advertising. I loved being a grapho, um, all of that. It really, uh, when I'm creating, that's when I'm truly, um, I think, doing what I'm supposed to do. But yeah. then when I was out fishing on the daily, it was um, my sister's-in-law asked me to um, come and f- fill a spot in their all-girls fishing team back when there weren't all-girls fishing teams, you know. And I said, oh, but I don't really – I'm not very good at fishing. And they said, that's right, we'll teach you. So they're the ones who taught me fishing. And um, and we did um, secret women's business and then, then we um, – started fishing the Barra Classic together and things like that. And what I realised is that even on – I think I was on day four of a five-day tournament where we'd caught one fish between the whole boat, and that was not because we were hopeless. It was a really tough tournament, (laughs) and it was searing horrible heat at 90% humidity, and, you know, it was slow, and we were just trolling because that's all we did in those days. And I realised that I was – in my happy place. And I thought, holy shit, this makes me happier than working. And I am a workaholic. Um, and so I made a decision, a, a declaration right there and then to the two girls. I said, hey, I've decided that I am going to transition my life to fishing. I'm going to make a living out of fishing. I'm going to make a living out of um, of wow. teaching women and children to fish because this is life-changing. And they said, one of them said, I believe you can do that, Joe. And the other one said, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, wow. So you, so it was like a conscious moment. It was a conscious decision. You thought, you know what, this yep. is it. This wow. is what I want to do. I want to use all my skills um, to get more women into fishing. That was back in two thousand and. Um, seven that yeah. I made that decision in 2009 it took me that long of mulling the ideas over in my head in 2009 I registered my first URL I finally came up with it it was Barra School and I thought I was so fucking clever oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and com was registered and that's when the fishing god said oh you're actually serious about this okay well, there's someone you need to meet because it was within a month of me registering my URL that no way. Fisher tote that um, that Shimano came to the territory to do a squidgy gig. Um, I know what you're going to say. Yep, and that's where I met Steve. Holy and do you know shit. what the funniest thing is? Steve had said to himself, he'd promised himself that he was done with Darwin years before he was never going back um he'd done his time all of that sort of thing Mm. and um i had said i'm done with men like (laughs) i was just hopeless and i was just a terrible pick so um i was going to this squidgy night when it came up because i had soft plastics in my um in my tackle box but had had no idea how to use them. I just, I'd bought them because they looked good. Yeah. Um, they were not squidgies because I bought them at Kmart because, um, uh, you yeah, know, no, yeah. no idea. And, um, and but they were the only thing that my five-year-old at the time daughter was interested in. And I knew if I was going to um, quit men but be able to continue fishing, I needed, if I was going to be a single mum, I needed to bring, um, bring her along and, and soft plastics were 
her thing. And so I signed up to my first ever fishing clinic. I'd never been to even a fishing club meeting in my life. And, um, and that was that. And so um, when the story goes that when Steve was asked to um, do one more um, squidgy night up in Darwin, his head said no and his mouth said yes. <laughs> and he went, what? What am I doing? And um, cool Yep. <laughs> so he was just like, okay, looks like I've dobbed myself in and he really didn't want to, but then we both know why he was there now because, you know, that was wow. the start of everything. Man, yeah. So much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> so, wow, that's – it's. I, I don't know. Look, what do you think about sliding door moments in the universe yeah. and all that? And because, like – and here's the reason I ask that, right, is because I'm hearing so many of my guests say things like that to me. I never really kind of used to think it was a thing, but, man, what do you think yeah, about that? I, um, like you, probably was a, a little bit cynical, um, but I know that it, it, for, for Steve and I, we never would have met um, otherwise. Uh, and for... For Steve, Steve's incredibly intuitive. I don't know if that's ever come out before, but he he knows kooky shit. You know, yeah. uh, he reads minds. He's he's, he's not psychic. He's <laughs> we have me and mates. We have a joke, and we say it's 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 sarcasm, right? We say we're yeah. not psychic. It's because yeah. shit happens, but you don't really. No yeah, yeah, and you don't want to you don't want to stick your hand up, but you know there mm. are so many times where I just look at him and go far out. That's a do 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 moment, you know. But he uh, he's incredibly intuitive, and I I think that um, that's why his head went to say no, but his mouth just dobbed him in, and um, he knew upon seeing me. Apparently, he really? said he was up on stage talking. I had no idea who he was. And um, okay. he was just this, um, in my mind, this old bloke talking um, up up on stage. And I was listening because I, I needed to hear this for my daughter. And, um, and, yeah, he just, he was scanning the crowd and just talking away. And then his eyes locked on me. And he reckons that um, everything was just like a, a massive vacuum in his head. Not, not a vacuum, but a noise that was deafening. And um, wow. that was just, yeah, he, I, I don't know how he explains it, but he said, no, he knew, and it took him probably a week of, of um, SMS messages with me because he bought me a beer afterwards. And, yeah, and, so he got um, your number. <laughs> he did because I was, I was over-talking with the president of the club and he was at the time um, Josh Kerr from Big Fish Graphics. Oh, um, yeah. He's a Darwin guy and we were talking business because I was in advertising, he was in printing and um, we, were, we were talking business opportunities and Steve came over and to introduce himself and at that point in time, Josh asked for my business card and said, yeah, I'll get in touch. And uh, so Steve said, oh, can I have one? And then that was that was the end of it. So once again, a sliding doors moment. Wow, because that's crazy. You know, how- I'm spewing that. I never really asked him about anything about how you guys met when I did the one with him because it was kind of like, um, like we sort of talked about it briefly, but not the story. So, yeah, I'm really Ooh. glad that he told me that because we 
his was kind of a bit more time constrained. Um, yeah. And I had a lot of other stuff to like, you know, you got uh, two hours with Starlo, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to yeah. put in there? What are you going to put? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'm glad you told me that because he, yeah, he just kind of like glossed over it. But he's obviously, I mean, you know, it's clear to everybody like how good a team you guys are. And he talked about it on the, his pod as well. He said like, mm. You know, like how sort of well you guys work together. Because I know when I commented in about the social stuff, you know, like I said to him, dude, you're supposed to be old and you're supposed to be washed up. And he actually mm. credited you with a lot of that stuff. And he said, look, man, Joe's like right onto this stuff. So you obviously like gel and yeah, work well together. Yeah, well, it was one of our first conversations, actually, because um, as the story went, I mean, he was a bit naughty because he was up there in Darwin filming with the fishing DVD and um, he took off to Channel Point after um, and, and, uh, after we'd met randomly and, um, and he was uh, wagging. He was wagging yeah. and saying, "Oh, it's all right. I'm going to stay back and do the housework, and um, and get what? the place tidy to leave the place that they'd all hired." And but he was really just um, he was getting yeah. the housework done, but he was also emailing me, potted history and and you know trying to it was like a, this pen pal thing, and I'm working and going, "Oh, okay," and keep talking with him, and um, and then he said, "Look, um, come to Catherine." And which is a town south of Darwin. He said, we're, we're yeah. doing some filming down there, blah, 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 and, and why don't you come for the last night? And I was like, holy hell, okay. But by this point in time, because he'd invested so much time um, getting to know me, I, I was quite um, interested in his mind. And so um, we came down, own room, um, and uh, Charlotte and I, and um, that's my daughter, and yeah. um, she was pathologically shy, so um, he put in a lot of effort to make her comfortable. And we went out to dinner with John and Peter from the fishing DVD, and we had a wonderful time laughing and, and being idiots. And then the next day um, I said to him, well, why don't I drive you to the airport and that way we can chat. And um, so we got to know each other more that way. And it was there that he told me that he thought his career was basically over because of social media and, and this and that. And I said, oh, God, no. I said, no, social media is your, is your, your new, um, your new magazines well. and TV. This is what yeah. you, you need to embrace that. But he'd had a really bad first um, – when he first tip, dipped his toe in the water, he had a really bad um, experience. You know, we're talking yeah. when Facebook was really new. And he thought, all right, I'll give it a crack. And someone sent him a friend request, a girl, and and they had the sur same surname as someone that he he knew closely, and so he thought it was that person's daughter. So he accepted that friend request, and then another bloke, random, um, abused the hell out of him because he'd noticed that Steve had accepted a friend request from that person, but not from him, and he accused him of being, you know, sleazy and and um, wow, just yeah. interested in hitting on women, and and Steve just just left Facebook. <laughs> he just was horrified. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that was the end of it. And I oh, said, no, man. you can just block those idiots. <laughs> yeah. <fucking laughs> I mean, right. Facebook's full of them. <laughs> man, I was going to say, it's full of them. If you can have, oh. obviously, that's a funny story because obviously he's, he's figured it out now, but yeah. Well, that it, was, I said, let me help you. How, yeah. one, 
how one small thing can make a, an impact on someone, but, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. And look, social media is still horrifying. It's, um, oh, yeah. it, it's awful. And, like, I'm only there because it's the way to reach our audience. If it was something that I was interested in, in, in just communicating and sharing in, the people that are on there being assholes are, are such awful humans that yeah. I would just it's 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 not a gene pool I would even just be in for social reasons. You know, it's just yeah. disgusting. But Look, well, everyone was learning. Yeah, everyone kind of went through the same sort of thing because you know at the start I had a lot of you know a few issues with things like that that made an impact on me, and now like. You know, I run admin on a couple of pages with about 5,000 members and, mate, I just ban people like nobody's business, you know what I mean? Like, we don't give any warnings, like nothing. If you can't, if you're an adult, right, and you can't fucking read the rules and follow the rules, I tell people, then this is not the group for you, you know? No, that's right. Because, you know, we had a lot of issues with that group at the start and then basically, that was basically when we kind of used to let stuff go. Then we cracked down and we were like, rightio. Let's just stamp this out. And since we've done that, right, we have very little issues at all. Yeah. Look, it's a few a few um, tosses in the mix that are toxic individuals that ruin it for everyone. Yeah. Not everyone's like it, but humanity has a, a really weird penchant for um, and morbid curiosity. They just can't resist a, a fight yeah. or a train wreck it's, or whatever. Yeah, car and crash just, TV. Yeah. And so you've got these dickheads that that just get off on ruining people's lives they're cyber bullies right and so they just they just start shit and then um and they they sit back and they relish in the in the discomfort that they cause the sooner the rest of us grow up and just give them no airtime the better off the world's going to be because one day they'll turn their ugly attention on you and if you know no one's immune to it and they're everywhere so that they've yeah, I think the um I think people that work in social media like us I think we're people have matured and realized like yeah and as Ro- I always quote Rogan right he says don't read the comments don't feed the trolls yeah exactly and and that's a, the first thing that I can say to anyone if it does happen to you if you do get trolled or cyberbullied or whatever don't feed it just ignore yeah. it um, oh, yeah. it's hard. Sometimes, because a few things I run, which I won't go into now, but online stuff, and sometimes, yeah, try and people try and send me advice and stuff like that. I don't even read it. No, no. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I stick to my plan. It's a formula I've done before. I know it works. Like, yeah, don't need advice. When you've got five thousand people in your group, come talk to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. going back to um, what you. Um, are saying so you were the one that kind of said Starlo like no you got yeah. to get on board the social media tell me a little bit about sort of what happened after that well you basically he, kind of reorganized him or yeah and we we um we got well soon after that really both he and I decided that we were off the market um we hadn't even kissed our first kiss was at the airport <laughs> when when we when I put him on the plane he grabbed me he wasn't letting me go without trying that um, uh, but you know we <laughs> he'd been a thorough gentleman uh, all the way awesome. through 
And oh, then, the reason I'm laughing is because like not many people get to experience that again. That point in life. I know, I know. Yeah. And he he got under my radar because he wasn't my typical person. Like I said to you early on, I was a shock and pick. You know, yeah. I just um, I picked gorgeous hunk of spunk kind of blokes and um, trouble and just uh, yeah shallow you know I just got it wrong yeah. every time but you know they'd follow my loins and not my brain anyway <laughs> Steve um Steve uh, got under my radar because I wasn't even looking at him as a partner you know he just yeah. was not in in that genre and um he um he has just the most incredible mind and um and that's what fascinated me. He, uh, like, I fell in love with him before I even knew that I was attracted to him. You yeah. know, I fell in, we fell in love with each other's brain. And uh, so with one kiss, he went back south. I stayed in Darwin, which seemed like an impossible situation. So we had a pen pal relationship via email. And we talked about social media and everything through that. And then um, before too long, it was like, this is ridiculous. We and he moved to Darwin um, for a yeah, short. So how while. long was it after that? It wasn't very long, eh? Less than six a year? months, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was because I had um, my daughter's father was still alive. We weren't together, obviously, but um, I wasn't going to just uproot her from from yeah, of course. Her, you know, spending time with her dad, and and I needed for the father to support. Steve as a as a stepfather too I feel like that that is really important well it was for me that um as a as a mature woman you know mentally emotionally mature the father's um role is and his opinion and all of that is still very very important and so um Steve to his credit agreed and came to Darwin for a while, even though he'd promised never to go there again, um, yeah. and lived up there for three years, and not only built a relationship with Charlotte, but built a relationship with her father as well. Um, yeah, and so that when we moved away, um, there was a relationship in place. So he came up, and um, and whilst we were he was up there, we took on um, we worked on the cross country, the um, four point eight meter hole with um tyson who was the founder of cross-country boats back way back when and we launched the prototype up in darwin yeah i remember that yeah yeah and then we wanted to help them um they were doing a car topper and oh we wanted to run a run a comp that's right to um to interest people in the brand and so we we ran a, a facebook comp and that was sort of how we um helped Steve understand the the mechanisms of it because we launched the Facebook page for cross country. And while we were traveling around doing other things, there was all sorts of um, um, attacks and, you know, early days of Facebook. Like we're we're talking 2010, 2011. It's very, very early days for Facebook. And people were, your keyboard warriors were out in force and and I just would um, go on and, de-escalate the situation 
to a certain extent and also demonstrated that if you just sit back and don't get defensive, your fans will often come in and kick the shit out of some troll anyway and you don't even have yeah, to lift right. a hand. And so he was able to sit back and watch that sort of Realize. stuff going on. Yeah. And that's how he um, he was able to build the confidence again to get in and and um, and start up and put apply some of those lessons that were learned through that process into having our, his own profile. And now I've got to say he surpasses me because I've I work on my own projects and um, I'm I've resigned from all the pages that I used to manage and I just only work in the women's fishing space um, with our own you know, very important goals. Um, and I leave all of that side to Steve and he is just going great guns. I mean, all the YouTube um, right. learning. And it, oh, and he's done all that research himself. So, you know, I can't – I got to a certain point. I trained him in iMovie to a certain point. Right. I moved over to um, – Premier Pro and worked in that space and and he doesn't want to do that because you know that's a hell of a lot of extra learning and so he just pushes yeah. iMovie which is a free Macintosh thing to its beyond its limits and creates yeah, fantastic yeah. videos you know what um, I reckon he'd probably be alright because I'm a Premier Pro guy it's not that hard to learn like it's pretty there's, there's a lot to it but there's not like just for what he's doing Mm. Um, the other thing is he's he's actually really good at adapting. I know, but you can't you can't convince him of that. Like ever since mm, okay, ever since I've known him, he's always said, "Joe, you can't teach an old dog new tricks." No, the good man, thing is he's now he's killing it. He's killing it. I know. We talked I know. about it on the podcast, and I was like, "Dude, you're killing it!" Like I, I can't believe, honestly, if someone ten years had told me, like you know, the other thing is I think which he kind of. The thing is, I'm glad to talk to you about it because when you talk to him about it, away, he always just kind of – he's so humble, right? Like he just mm. downplays it and he's just kind of like, oh, well, you know. But I think he underestimates like how much work, like just straight up hard work he puts into it. You know. No, he doesn't underestimate because I'm I'm on this side of it, so I hear him swearing at it, <laughs> wanting to throw his computer out the window. Um, yeah. You know, the, the constant battle with lack of um, oh, RAM. He's on the Premier Pro. Yeah, but and that's true. But um, the old dog new trick thing—the only way that I've been able to—it's taken me years to be able to put a stop to that um, that particular anecdote. And that is because yeah. um, I am now older than he was when he first started saying it. <laughs> and, and so, so you know, it was always a cop out. Like you can't teach an old dog new tricks; you have yeah. to do it. It's like, no, you can't yeah. do that to me anymore because I'm now an old dog too. So, yeah. Um, yeah so he is ah. pushing it, but he he doesn't want to um, cr clutter his brain space with new programs. And so, while it'll continue working for him, he'll yeah. continue using iMovie. And seriously. Yeah, but you look at his videos, Ira. I was going to um, say, there's nothing he, wrong he doesn't, with them. Yeah, he doesn't need to. No, you you're know? exactly 100% right. I was going to say that next. Like, they're so good. Really, yeah. if it's working, then, yeah. Yeah, he's got his – He's uh, he just spends all his time now because, you know, he's, he's, um, he's recently become of age that he can access his super. So, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. so he – we're working – 
we're, well, we're working towards um, retirement for Starlow, and retirement for Starlow looks like um, YouTube. More fishing or YouTube. Well, it just looks like running a YouTube channel, you know. Yeah, yeah. He he really, yeah, no, really enjoys never retire. it. Yeah, no, no he and won't. Look, like I said, one of the things I remember saying to him during the podcast I did with him, he's, he's been like Madonna. Like he's just reinvented himself <laughs> yep. like so many times. It's yep. such a credit to him, I reckon. Yeah, I look, I have that level of respect too. I just think um, he's mellowed. He's a, he's a, um, he's he's not the same guy that he was when he was younger. But he is, um, he he's aged. He's he's wised up, and he's still got that steel trap brain about anything to do with fishing, is yeah. right there, and it's um, he's encyclopedic. You know, yeah. he just he oh, spews yeah. it all out. He just loves it. Yeah. And um, I'm, Joe, I'm 50, and I started reading Starlow when I was like 15. Yeah, and he's still writing stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, he's a, he's an absolute icon, and I'm I'm glad that I know who he is now. I'm also I'm really glad that I didn't know who he was. Yeah, that's when I met him. Too, yeah. yeah, because I think if I had been a fangirl or something like that, it, the dynamic wouldn't have been right. Yeah. I can or remember... do you think it kind of maybe it might have like clouded you or given you like a preconceived idea as well? Maybe possibly. I mean, I had to Google him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, what did yeah. you think after that once you Googled him? Oh well, I I actually went back to him and said so. I, I have watched a few episodes of um, the Rex Hunt show and I said when I was younger, I, you know, it had come on between – I was into rugby league and it had come on sort of between or before a rugby oh, league yeah, match yeah. or something like that and I'd watch it and, on occasion and get a bit of a giggle out of it but I wasn't fishing in those days. So, you know, it was just – it was just – it was a very entertaining show. And um, – but I – gloss over it mostly have a bit of a laugh at the antics and all that and I said but there was this one guy that always really engaged with me I said this there was this dude who yeah. used to wear a um a sleeveless red puffer jacket and talk tackle <laughs> and I said and I wasn't interested in anything he had to say but I just felt really connected with him and I said did you know him and he, he went he blushed and he said that was me yeah. <laughs> Well, and I went, oh, there you go. Yeah, really funny. He's qualified as a teacher and you can see why. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He's so good at that instructional stuff. It's just – He is. Yeah. Mm. And the cool yeah. thing is, like, I remember even from my days in Fishing WA, you know, we published a lot of articles. Realistically, the most basic stuff was generally the most popular. Yeah, and he's finding that too, you know. The, he's watching – you know, he's right into all the metrics and all of that as he probably should have been a marketer, but um, yeah. he watches all the um, the metrics behind his YouTube stuff and gleans what the audience is most responsive to and what they're calling for, even if they don't know they're calling for it. Yeah, yeah, because they can and, say one thing, but yeah, you got to... Yeah, but the drop-off points and all of that, that all indicates something else. And the uh, by far the most... Um, appealing stuff is just your bread and butter fishing without a boat sure base that anyone can do Um, and 
you know, of all the, I don't know how many thousands of subscribers he's he's got, 15,000 subscribers or something like that on his YouTube channel and um, millions and millions of views and still the most popular and hotly watched stuff yeah. and the stuff that people wait for is the bread and butter. Yeah. Um, it's a simple... You know stuff, and it's it makes sense though when you when you think about you know you got your grassroots anglers down the bottom of a triangle and your and That's your avids at the top of the triangle. The vast majority of people are in that, you know, yeah. um, in the in the base of the triangle. So what um, was it about fishing? Like, so you do a thing with Starlay, you start getting into it, and look, I pretty much followed you from because I remember seeing you guys first comp and you know, being in fishing media as well, like, you know, you mm. pop up in the same spaces. And then, so then you do a few things, you go fishing and for a while, what was it about fishing, do you think, that really, like, just kind of got its grips into you? Um, I can speak to that in hindsight. At the time, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had a clue, right? But in mm. hindsight, um, it was a, a base need of mine. I have recently, like in the last couple of years, been diagnosed with PTSD. And um, the I, I've always known that fishing saved my life, but I didn't know why. And um, I think that it was, I was self-medicating with fishing. It shut yeah. my amygdala up. It had me out on the water, focused, single-minded, and it was also extremely empowering. So this is a little bit of a, an insight into um, what drives me to do what I do with regards to bringing more women um, across to recreational fishing and getting them to understand what's special about it. And I think it's, it's – there's a different angle on fishing compared for women compared to men. And um, it's just about Australian culture and, and how we've raised our girls over the, over the decades. Um, and a lot of women, when it comes to base survival stuff, um, they don't have it. Right. Yeah, and, um, and the, the um, empowerment that came from learning to fish for me have it gave me an, an opportunity to be in control of my circumstances and in control of my life at um outside of the realm that I would normally work in so where I if things turn to shit and I needed to get out and run away yeah. I had uh, what yeah, I yeah I I had the opportunity to feed myself I had wow learned, to back it like it was very very base but I didn't know it at the time but I knew that I was being empowered and I didn't know what it was what it gave me was a, a um, tangible sense of control over my life and my circumstances and as um, a person suffering PTSD albeit undiagnosed at that point in time I was completely um, like just drowning in yeah. an undiagnosed condition where yeah. I just didn't feel like life made sense to me at all. I was, I was a, um, a high achiever. Um, I was extremely successful in my, in my career life, but I was a total mess on the inside <laughs> and fishing just made, it, it just was powerful for me. And mm. that's what I work these days to bring to other women who feel disempowered through any circumstance the ability to um, 
to demonstrate to yourself that you can survive on your own, that you can back up a trailer, you can um, catch a fish, you can um, cook it, you can build a shelter because you know yep. solid knots. You know, it's that whole alone thing yeah, that you yeah. can do it. I know. And you know what is the best thing with that, Ira? This is the most powerful thing, right? I am where I am because I want to be here, because I choose it. I am not dependent on Steve. I am not dependent on anybody else. And when you get to that stage in your life as a woman, and I would say as a man too, you can feel genuine freedom and power. Right, And my love for Steve, he knows without any shadow of a doubt that I want to be here. I choose him because yeah. I'm, I'm an empowered woman who can go and do and be whatever I want to be. Fishing gave me that. Wow. That's, and, man, that's, um, <laughs> that's pretty powerful stuff. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to actually talk to you about the women's stuff. I've got that in my notes, so we'll get to that. So going back, so basically what you're kind of saying to me is like, it was like a fishing gave you a primeval connection that therapy couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't yep. kill kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's right. Because, um, because my, I'd, I'd had counseling and, and all sorts of things, um, at the end, like the, the, the circumstance I was raped at knife point and, um, I, I had to defend my own life and, um, that was when I was 20. So I'd had a lot of counseling and I, I, uh, worked really, really hard. I battled with my mental health, but didn't realize I was, I was just so stubborn that I wasn't going to have a mental health problem you know? yeah. <laughs> and I was going to survive. Um, and, and all my effort um, to be something that I wasn't was only compounding the problem. But when I, when the girls asked me to go fishing and they had no idea of my internal struggles, they knew my history because they were my sisters-in-law, but um, they had no idea that I was struggling as much as, as I was. And frankly, I had no idea I was struggling as much as I was. And uh, But yeah, going fishing was the start of me surviving and then as I embraced it well you guys know who I am today you know yeah. so, and that, what it that's did, so what you're saying is like it sort of it taught you the survival but then through fishing and the time by of doing that it also yes. made you realize what you went through before and how that affected you yeah yeah, and then and then recently, um, there's been you know we we're talking about social media. Um, there was um, there's been a whole heap of whole hate campaign against myself and Steve um, over the last few years. And when that first started, it was actually against me, and um, and it sent me into Back. a big bad space. And yeah. it was that it was counselling for that. What that triggered, it, it was a massive anxiety situation. I didn't realise that I suffered anxiety. I'd been um, really like a, like, like a real high achiever in, in, uh, for someone of my condition. and yeah. But that tipped me over the edge. And um, so I had two years of counselling with that thanks to the government's um, mental health care plans. And it was through that that... Um, that the diagnosis came out just through those conversations. And so I have so much to be grateful for in that whole stuff, that ongoing social media crap, that um, 
because it gave me the diagnosis that I needed to understand my life and yes. and get this um, recognition of, oh, that's where Sorry. I went. That's what happened, you know. And now I've got it all in context and I can see the whole thing playing out. I see who I am. And so, you know, thanks to that person <laughs> because yeah. they've really helped me out. <laughs> and, yeah. what you're saying really is the obstacle was the way. Yes. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius, I stole that. Sorry, mate. No. <laughs> He's a Greek yeah. philosopher. But that's what he says, the obstacle is the way. Isn't it funny, yeah. right, how that, like, even as humans, right, we don't want the hardship, right, and we, we don't really want to do it, but that's actually where the growth comes. Absolutely. you got to bite that stuff, yeah. right, to get the juice out of it and um, – it's there. There's comes no value from hiding away from any of this stuff. You've just got to grow the boobs or the balls, you know, whatever yeah. gender you want to um, identify with, and and front up to it, um, because there's lessons in everything, and we can always become better. At, you know, no matter what. Oh yeah, so, for sure. And look, yeah. I I just want to say, uh, you know, I really appreciate you sharing all that with me because, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, and it's a uh, um, you know, you're showing a lot of vulnerability there, but you know, I've uh, I've also been diagnosed PTSD and oh, had anxiety. <laughs> so you know, that's why you know I can't. And look, I kind of knew that before I even talked to you because you just get a sixth sense for these things. And yeah. like the fact that you said, you know, you've been a high achiever, and they're kind of common but uncommon traits, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, but yeah, I understand exactly where you're coming from because um, yeah, it's. It's, and look, I think here's the other thing I always say to as well, Joe, right? There's a reason why old people are wise, right? And it's because it fucking takes that long. Yep. Like it literally just, you just don't overcome this stuff, you know, overnight. Um, so do you mind me asking? So what do you do in terms of like a daily, do you have like a daily routine or like things that you do to kind of stay on top of that? Or you just leave it up to fishing? <laughs> Fishing is a big part of it. I I um I dedicate myself to my quest, which is to um to achieve fifty fifty um particip gender participation in fishing by 2050 um, and that's for the benefit of all fishers. The um so I've, I'm doing that whether it's whether I'm actually fishing, promoting fishing, writing about fishing, teaching fishing, whatever it is, I've got all of that going on. Um, I love my medication. I'm, uh, I still have medication for my anxiety, which I um, have no shame in. I've been told that I can work, wean myself off that if I want to. Um, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to uh, ever well, go hey, back to where I was. If it works for you. You know what I mean? But that's it. There's no shame in it. It's not doing me any harm no. that I'm aware of. Um, but the other thing that I did was I quit drinking. And um, I'm two and a half years without a drink. When I say that, I do drink the ultra-low. Like having those, the development of the ultra-low alcohol, the beers, the craft beers that are, are tasty, oh, they're yeah. actually they're yeah. nice stuff, um, that was a real help. But because um, before my diagnosis, I'd gone – from being a um, as a young person, I was basically not interested in alcohol, to then being a um, 
coping, using it as a coping mechanism, but I didn't realise that that's what I was doing because, you know, um, I was raped when I was 20. At that point in time, I was um, fundamentally a non-drinker. And so it just sort of became a social thing. I could have started drinking anyway for all I knew. And so I didn't connect the two, you know what I mean? But um, I was always judgy on it, you know, and I didn't have an off switch. I was a real binge drinker. And so, um, yeah, two and a half years ago, as I got ahead of my anxiety and all of that, um, I'd got to a point where I was ready to give that a crack. And so I have, and it's been brilliant. So, yeah, well, it is, I That's find it. it so fascinating that fishing is was the connection for you because it's like I have people, right, like, and I'm sure you guys have come across this heaps of times. I've got so many stories, right, where you give someone a pack of plastics and you change their life. Yeah. And then at some point in time, right, you come back and you meet them again later and they explain to you, like, holy fuck kind of thing, like, this just yeah. changed my – and I've had people say to me, like, what is it? What is it, right? So many times that I've got a little speech that I give, and this is what I say, right? I say, it doesn't matter what you believe, right? This is how long humans have been alive. And I just hold my arms out, outstretched. Mm-hmm. And then I pinch two fingers together at the end, and I say, this is living in houses, right? Mm-hmm. And going to jobs. All the rest of this was just like hunter-gatherer. And what yep. you said about, you know, that, because one of the things I realise now as an old bloke looking back one of the reasons why I really wanted to get into fishing, right, was because I just had this inner feeling, right, that no matter what happened to me, because I had a fuck childhood and lots of shit as well, right, yeah. and I just knew if I could catch fish, I'll be all right. Yep. And it was That's... just a primeval feeling yep. of like I just knew, you know what, fuck the world. If I have to go off grid, mm-hmm. as long as I can catch fish, right, and I actually – you know, I'm a bit of a deep critical thinker and listen to a lot of podcasts. And you know, one of you know, amongst all my research, one of the things I've discovered is that, you know, part of the reason why humans got a lot smarter was when they found fish, because it was the omega threes that actually caused the brain to grow, and that's right. actually like what developed. And I think it's one of the things that we're most connected to. So I, I just can't believe I've heard another person tell me that. Yeah. No, well, I think that that's exactly what it is. It's that the importance of being a self-reliant human yeah. um, is Knowing incredibly that, no what, empowering. Right. Yeah. yeah. And if you do, if you get to that level where you have proven to yourself that you're self-reliant, no one can take that away from you. No cyberbully, no, no um, domestic violence, nothing can take that away from you. Yeah. And you can choose to leave yeah. or you can it's choose so to stay. crazy powerful, isn't it? Really powerful. Yeah. And we're, we're now experiencing it on a regular basis, almost daily in the Women's Recreational Fishing League as we open women's minds to don't think about fishing, think about, you know, we challenge them. How is this impacting you outside, you know, off the water? Have a think about um, other things in your life. And it's about um, when they – because a lot of the gender bias that we – that is expected in fishing, 
you know, they, there's yeah. no inherent gender bias in fishing as an activity itself. There's no, you don't re- need to be strong. You don't need even to be fit necessarily. You don't need anything. You need a fishing rod and some um, line, some hooks or lures and yeah. the intention to go and catch fish, right? Yeah. And then you need some knowledge to get better at it, etc. But a man next to a woman with the same skills is not going to outfish her because he's stronger. And that's one of the few sports in the world where we can genuinely get to the point where we do not need gender classes in fishing, right? We don't yeah. need a, you know, women's yeah, comp and a yeah, men's yeah. comp. We need yeah, to be okay. fishing. We can be fishing together. And I want that because that is, that then gives us an opportunity to um, to open the dialogue about equality. Right, yeah. there are things that we do differently, and all of that sort of thing, but it doesn't make us unequal because and fishing is just a beautiful um, sports ground for equality, and so yeah. that's what we work towards. But what we've realized is that a lot of the gender bias well, the gender bias that does exist is mindset stuff, and a lot of it exists in the heads of women hung over from the bad old days where, you know, we had quite a misogynistic society, a lot of that's shifted now. A lot of men would love for the, for more women to be fishing, albeit they don't know how to make that happen. But the yeah. fact is that they are prepared to welcome women. Um, women need to uh, need help breaking down that fear and anxiety that they're going to be rejected, ridiculed, um, uh, perhaps um, sub- harassed in some way or whatever. And so that's what we work to do is to break down that, get their skills up and then send them out competing because we've already had them competing and now we go, all right, go and join the ABT or the or the Bass Rounds or whatever and, and fish alongside the men because you don't need to worry about it. And when we get that happening... Um, we start seeing empowerment to a, to a level, you know, we, we are actively changing human individual lives on a daily basis and it gives you goosebumps. It's just <laughs> wonderful. Bet. It's one of the it's... best things sharing. Yeah, well, let's go there. Let's talk about the um, Women's Recreational Fishing League. So basically, I had a couple of questions I sort of wanted to ask you about and you sort of mm. started covering it there. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about was like, um, I see these, um, I won't call them dickheads, but um, okay. I see these people comment online, like when you have stuff that's like, you know, women's only competitions, right? And I see mm. people, and like you said, you know, it's been pretty misogynist for a long time. And like, you know, when I first started running the comps back here, I, I, you know, it was like over 20, 25 years ago now. But sometimes when I think back over it and I think about it, you know, I worked hard to try to get women involved and I had a separate class for like highest placed women to try and encourage participation, mm. right? But one thing I realised, right, is that it was a lad culture. Yep. Like the culture of it was just not fucking family friendly and it just wasn't women friendly. And I can tell you like, oh, man, I've spent an insane amount of time like thinking about that. So, yeah, I wondered if you could tell us like, because I know what to say to these people who say, oh, why would you have a women's only comp, right? But, yeah, so could you explain that to people listening and also, yeah, to me, um, what you guys do there and why that is so important? Mm, well, look, I, I, I don't have space in my life for gender bias, sexism 
of any form. And that includes women who are sexist, and there are a lot of sexist females. Um, and I'll say straight up front, there's there's no room for that. Now, I am not a um, an advocate for women's only comps for the sake of women's only comps. I don't like it when I see um, very, very capable women um, fishing against other women for the for the sake of their um, ego, yeah. right? To make to, for the sake of of, of winning, right? Yeah. If you are that good, go and fish against the blokes because there's no gender bias. Like this is what we've got to do: is break down the goal of w, of WRFL, which is what we call ourselves, the Women's Recreational Fishing League, is to make ourselves obsolete. We want to end the female only comp right um because there's there's no reason for it and if the men did it we would be up in arms if they said no men no women allowed we would be up in arms and so we must keep that um front and center my team are running comps for the purpose of training women as to approach fishing as a sport um, for their competitive natures and to um, have the skills that the, and the and the language and um, the wherewithal to get out there and and actually not be an absolute newbie, so they don't go and enter the comps feeling vulnerable to ridicule. Right? Yeah, they con- yeah. they're confident and they don't want to go into comps and um, and need to ask a, a bloke for assistance. Right, they they need to go in there just like the blokes do and be capable. Now the yep. women are coming, the older women are coming from a long way back, right? Because they weren't raised to fish. Like I said, I was in my well into my thirties before I started fishing, despite the fact that my brothers had been fishing since kids. So, um, so what we do is we provide a, a safe and nurturing when I say safe emotionally safe and nurturing environment for girls to catch up so that they can go we are our our tournaments that we run uh we call that we call them the x-factor tournaments they're a pro-am but they are mentor and mentee and our scoring system has um the so they run like a pro-am where you've got three rounds and you change your boater three times so you've oh, got three different mentors idea. across yeah. the thing but the the boat score travels with both the mentor and the mentee to the next round so you share this you share the fish and yeah. that means that the mentor isn't like in a normal pro-am or a normal boat and non-boater tournament the boater provides you with a platform to fish from but after that you're on your own Um, in our tournaments it's in the boater's best interest to make sure that the mentee or the the non-boater's rod is catching fish too and so they share information and then what that does what we found we've got women as our mentors who are fishing in the ABTs and all of that sort of thing and they would prefer to be fishing in our tournaments because they learn more so what happens is you've got a mentee comes on board and they've been on a different boat they've learned a whole heap from that one they come and say why don't we try this the mentors just learnt a new thing Mm. (laughs) and so we've got the beautiful Jill Wales who is a um, you know fantastic bass tournament fisher herself runs a a go fast triton and all that 
And she came along and, and fished the Brimex in Yamba recently and um, she's never targeted Brim before, but it excites her. The whole possibility of, of branching out, stretching, going beyond her comfort zone. So she's rocked up. She's got three um, three different mentees that she's got to get out. She's teaching them about boating and tournament angling and all of that. And then they're bringing different information and feedback from other rounds about targeting brim. Yeah. And um, and so she learns heaps but is um, is watching the empowerment of other women as well. That's what it's about. You know, yeah, um, yeah. and it's I will skilled. say, that, yeah, it is. And then um, one woman that we had on board who came through as a mentee on the Brim X, she'd never been to a, a boating tournament before, did that. And I just heard this morning that she just joined two of the mentors as a teammate in, in one of the um, family Basson rounds yeah. and competed outside of our organisation um, against the blokes so um, things like that that's what it's about is is breaking down the mindset barriers that stop women from wanting to go out there and um, and we will be here we've already put the we've got a even an icon that says 50 50 by 2050 yeah. we um, the minute that we find that the surveys come back and say that we've got participation parity across the genders in recreational fishing, we drop our W and we become the Recreational Fishing League of Australia. And then you watch things go from there because we have so many blokes who come to us and say, you know, men need this too. It's really yeah. scary for really scary for a bloke to admit that was, he can't fish. <laughs> my next question, well, kind of. <laughs> But yeah, and like, here's, well, here's, there's two things there, but one thing I kind of want to know, right, like as a man, right, I'm disappointed that we don't do, do this better. So just yeah. hit me straight between the eyes. Like, what is it about blokes, right, that puts women off participation? I think um, there's a couple of things. There is frustration, so one of the big things, a lot of women will go and try fishing with their loved one, their, their um, significant other, yeah, if they're a fisher, yeah. right? And this happened to me. Um, I had tried fishing with my daughter's dad. He was an avid and he really wanted us to go fishing as a family. But he would get so frustrated. He could yeah. not teach Right, he just did not have the patience to teach me anything. He expected me to be able to pick up the rod and know, and be it's able like to cast. No, no golfer wants his wife to go golfing. No, well, because he doesn't want to teach her anything. He just wants. Yeah. He doesn't want to have to say, "Oh, yeah." And it's worse with fishing because she's going to get snagged. She's going to end up in the tree. She's going to get a bird's nest on her reel. She's going, you know, she's going to bust mm. off and not know how to tie knots. And what ends up happening um, is sometimes the uh, for a little while the avid becomes a guide, and they're not fishing as much as they would like to, and yeah. so they they miss their fishing. They get frustrated and. And then they just say, oh, I just want to go fishing with the boys um, today. Yeah. And then the, she feels rejected. She's probably a bit stung anyway from getting, from sensing or getting yelled at, sensing the frustration. Um, and then um, hubby wants to go or significant other wants to go fishing with the boys and it becomes a boys thing again. And it's just because 
fishing with the boys lets him fish, right? Yeah. Now, no one yeah. can hold that against an avid, <laughs> but... It lessens the experience. Yeah, I see what yeah. you're saying. And Do so... you think as well, but, like, um, here's, here's my theory, right? Tell me what you think it is. I reckon ego, men's, men's egos. Oh, I reckon that there's a little bit of um, one-upmanship at the pub where one bloke is saying, oh, she always outfishes me. If I take her, she always outfishes me. And then the other yeah. bloke says, oh, you reckon yours outfishes you? Mine? Yeah. You wouldn't believe it, right? That's just, that's just bar talk, but I reckon, because what I think is most dudes just, there's no way any dude wants to admit that his missus is a better angler, you know what I mean? Uh, I get a lot of it. Oh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to agree to disagree there. I think the guys take pride because I think they take a little bit of ownership. The assumption yeah, is that she yeah. learnt to fish from you. Yeah. And that she actually surpassed you. But the men just put that down to pheromones, even though there's a whole lot of horse shit. Um, they'll just say, oh, yeah, but, you know, women. <laughs> um, yeah. But that, so, yeah, I think the teaching and not having the patience to teach is a big thing. And then yeah. the other side of it with tournaments, it's going to the toilet. It's as oh, basic yeah. as that, right? Yeah. It's, um, because the girls – unless they've got a she-wee, which I don't like the idea of, but they're very, very popular. Um, I'm a hang my ass over yeah. the side, identify a safe place on the boat right up front and tell people to look the other way. Um, but a lot of guys and a lot of girls get confronted by how do we have this conversation. Yeah. Um, and it becomes it just, a bit of a, a weird thing. Like, because I remember, you know, um, after I stopped actually fishing comps, there was a girl who used to like take like a little bucket or something with her yeah. on the boat, and it's like some of these dickheads like giving a shit about it, you know. And it's like, well, first of all, who cares? I think Australians are pretty prude too by nature. Like, if you're in comps in Europe, man, like no one would care, you know. Well, the, the, yeah, w the Europeans are far less body conscious than Australians, anyway. Yeah. You're right, we are prudish. We don't um, get our kid off easily, whereas the Europeans just do. <laughs> you know, they're weird, just eh? yeah um yeah so, so i don't know i don't know but um the yeah coming up with a way to just say all right look yeah. the elephant in the room is that we pee different to each other so how do you want to manage this what's the solutions because um, like i think i had a couple of girls like on my um i'm pretty sure when i fished clarence around one year i had a fam and i just said to her like Hey, like, no dramas. If you need me to take you anywhere, like, we'll just go, like, you just let me know kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I do, I, I mean, I always make sure that I've got a big towel on the boat anyway to, to wet down for the fish and all of those sorts of things. And yeah. you can say, look, I've got a modesty towel <laughs> on board. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, you just wrap that round your, your waist and drop your trousers and that way any boat coming past doesn't see your bum. But yeah. um, I don't like the idea of a bucket on the boat um, because I just sort of think that, you know, that's more embarrassing. Then I've got to yeah. tip it over the side and, and shishes around. do in America and bass comps? I don't know. There aren't many girls. I wonder girls. if they just stop maybe. And, or... Yeah. Well, like, I was speaking to Tim. Or... Um, I was, yeah. I, I don't know if they have a women's league over there. Well, um, I have I was... women's tournaments. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And but we wanna get to the point where there are no women's tournaments, right? So yeah. um we 
um, I was speaking with Steve Morgan about it, who runs the ABTs, and he said, you know, this is the biggest issue. Um, the guys don't know how to manage it. The girls are, are too um, self-conscious to ask. He said one yeah. of the things that they do is that they, they make the decision that they're just not going to drink so they don't have to oh, face that. They, but then um, they dehydrate, right? So then, um, so what we have to do is normalise this conversation and just straight off the bat say, mm. right, oh, let's get it out. We pee differently. How do you want to manage come this? Come you on, know, come up with something. It's almost like boats need like some little, I don't know, some little thing like a. No, oh, I don't know. I think I that know. the most important thing you can do is identify the spot on the boat that is safe, right, to yeah. pee. I had actually. I'll tell you this. Um, in the in the Brimex, we were um, we had in the mentors clinic. We went around, and these are the sorts of things that we deal with with the mentors for the mentors clinic. We go around, and say, right, let's look at your boat, and um, and identify potential safety hazards that because it's your boat you know it's there you'll take for granted but someone new coming on the boat who may not ever have been on a boat doesn't isn't boat savvy yeah, let's eyes. let's yep let's each critique each other's boat so we do all of that and the first thing I do is say right what's your what's your safe um toilet you know, over the side spot because it needs to be somewhere that you can have one hand grabbing. I know this for a fact because um, in a really desperate moment in a tournament in Darwin, I was holding on and holding on and holding on. This was in the secret women's business where there are only women on the water, right? Holding on for so bloody long because there were boats everywhere. And then finally I looked up from my fishing and there were no boats anywhere. And so I just down rod, down trowel over the side of the boat. <laughs> but I hadn't taken into consideration where I was. And I was up on oh, the casting deck. The weight. Right. And so I'd said to the girl, I thought, I've got to pee. And so the girls went to the back of the boat and I was up on the casting deck with the, just the gunnel rail to hold on to put my bum over the side and of course gravity just pulled me backwards because my knees were up around my ears because there was no gunnel yeah. and I've just gone backwards so now Man, I've got my pants been. it was yeah. terrifying because I, you get to, yeah you get to know where all the crocs live when you live in in croc infested yeah. waters right and so I knew that there was a four meter croc that owned this space and here I was on the bow of the boat with my my shoulders and the back of my head in the water. That's me trying to pull myself out, going, oh my uh, little help, please, girls. <laughs> right? And they've turned around on, oh, my God, and, and run to help me. Um, and they would have, you know, what a horrible sight because <laughs> my pants were up on the deck and, and they're just like, oh, was, hello. <laughs> you're lucky it was girls. Yeah, that's exactly right. So now I know that what you've got to do is you must have your ankles well down. So there yeah. must be, um, what do you call it, freeboard. <laughs> you've yeah. got to have freeboard. And you must also have a place so near the console or something where there's a pole to grab onto so that you just your bum hangs over, not your whole body. Yeah, yeah. And so we walk around and identify safe toilet spots. But the really um, insightful thing, and it was, you know, sometimes someone says something so simple and you go, why the hell didn't I think of that? A lady called Kendall Kramer, who is one of our mentors from Coffs Harbour, 
she runs a certes and she just said, well, what I do is I just get the girls to put their bum right here in front of the motor and they can pee down into the um, into the the motor well. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, so they've got the – they can lean back on the on – the, um, yeah, yeah. on the motor, yeah, and just pee back there onto the mechanisms. Then when we, we get up on the plane, it all washes out. Yeah. And she said it's, it's just straight down into the water and they've got the privacy of the motor disguising them. And I just thought that is so damn simple. Why yeah, even with all the thought I've put into it, I've never come up with that. So that's yeah. also a really, really handy tip, I think, that we could all adopt. Where there's a yeah, there's a simple yeah. ladies pee pee spot on every boat. Yeah, and it's funny, eh? Because like you just wouldn't think of something like that would that would, would be such an issue. But now that you say it like that, I I see what a barrier it is, you know. Yeah, and um, so yeah, there's peeing on the boat. There's uh, being stung in the past by lack of patience from significant others, and that's what yeah. I always say when. Uh, you know, there's sometimes that I, I am this... sorry, go yeah, sorry that I'm talking to a couple, and she's saying no, I, you know, I'm, I'm no good, blah blah blah, and I look at him and say, you've probably been out fishing together, and he's like, yeah, yeah, she's all right, you know, and I say, look, give her to me, I'll hand her back to you as a fisho, <laughs> and that's because you yeah. know what's happened, you know, it, it's yeah. just been a, an exercise in frustration for the avid. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like girls also communicate differently and they learn differently. So when a girl teaches a girl, it sticks. And um, and then the freedom that happens, the the love that can come, the enhancement in the, in the personal relationships and all that when they're actually able to go out and fish together as equals is just beautiful. You yeah, know? I think it's just a bit of a cultural thing too that we've been going through. And like I use the example of like, the AFL, right? Like even 20 years ago, right? Look at just an AFL game. And I mean like mm. the change rooms, the crowds, the fights on the hill after the crowds, mm. like mm. all that kind of stuff. There was just no women. Like when I used to go to the Eagles back in the 90s, women didn't go to the footy, right? Then the AFL realised all this shit that you've been talking about, you know, and realised, hey, mm. we're missing out on half the market as well kind of thing. Yep. Like, And they, you know, they tidied the game up a lot. They tidied the change rooms up. They made it more of a family environment. I sort of see fishing as like, you know, it's coming along, it's getting better, but there's a lot of things culturally that are kind of like, you know, hung over from yeah the yeah. The, the old days, so to speak. And I do the other place I do see it because I'm a huge motorsport fan, right? It's like mm-hmm. um, in motor racing now, like when I first started racing, right? You never really seen many girls racing, and generally they weren't that quick, right? Mm. Now, Joe, there's fucking heaps of chicks and they are legit fast. And yeah. I'm talking like they're winning races like against the boys and what you said, they're in motor racing. It's kind of cool, right? Because they do have a few women's leagues. They have an F4 league in the UK, which is sort of like what you're doing. It's more about teaching them skills, participation. Mm. But in a lot of the open like racing, right, there's if you want the trophy, right, there's no class and women have proved like time and time again and nowadays right like i follow heaps of like female motor racing uh you know drivers on youtube and on line socials because you know what i find 
they're act- they're more interesting. <laughs> yeah. they're more, it's more interesting than following the boys because you know the other thing is the boys have done it all sort of thing, and it's like you see yeah. these young chicks are, and there's a, a few girls in America, man, and they are proper quick. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's another sport where there's no gender bias, right? You don't have to be strong to drive yeah, a car. It's funny You've got how it's not, not even yeah. there. Yeah, but, but that's fishing's cool. kind of got that still. Yeah, well, that's right, and we we, we will um, break it down. Yeah. And I'm well, just I hoping one day, right? I want to make a prediction. Of, our girls going to win the ABT and probably like other stuff too. Yeah, and the reason I say that, right, is because like I've had a discussion right around a campfire, and some dudes were giving me shit about that, right? Oh, you know, I said, mate, that's only because you guys never come up against the right woman, right? Mm. I've come up against women that are fucking savages, man. And what I mean by that is like the way they throw themselves into it and the dedication that they put into it. I don't know if there's many men that got that in them, you know, and like mm. I fished, you know, I realized that when I fished with Kim Bain back in the day yep. and I had the pleasure of, you know, fishing with her in WA and over East as well a few times and spent a few days on the water. And I realized then, right, like she's just on another level, like mm. boys, girls, forget, forget it, right? Like, and mm. I fished with her a lot and I seen her fish with a lot. She rarely lost. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just funny how at the end of every day she always caught the most and the biggest ones, you know. <laughs> and I think that the um, – I think what you've just done is put out a warning to the fellas because the girls, like in a lot of aspects of life, because we are coming – we haven't completely moved past the hangover of the um, misogynistic and, patron- and patriarchy, um, yeah. women still had feel, to battle. Yeah, and they still feel that they have to do so much more, and and quite often they do have to be so, do so much more to um, to achieve even the same accolades as a bloke that they yeah. they are used to. They have a culture of having to do uh, having to work really really hard just to get noticed. So the work ethic. Is um is out of this world. Yeah, they're quick reckon, learners. They're intuitive. They think in pictures. Yep. Right, there's some little thirteen year old, fifteen year old girl out there, and mm-hmm. she's watching what you're doing, and she's starting to go to these comps. Man, honestly, these dudes don't have a chance. They don't. They don't. If she's raised with the fire in the belly that yeah. that her mother will hand down to her, yeah. and um and gets that work ethic of you're in a male dominated sport, you've just got to work that much harder. You yeah. bring into the you bring into the mix the um because for me, um a lot of recreational fishing success comes from being able to visualise what's happening at the end of the line right, and yeah. being able to think in pictures and use your imagination. Soft plastics are brilliant for that because you've got the um, the sinker and the jig head at the front so that you can actually literally feel where the lure is at any given time and you, you yeah. start to get an internal um, or a, a mental picture that is a little bit more detailed than what the sounder can tell you, right, and you can um, – you can, like you've, I've watched your articles and all that about fanning casts and and do all of that. You get a, a full mental picture of what's around you and yeah. where the fish are going to be hiding, and then you can work those spots. Um, when you've when you 
put that mental power, that different way of thinking into action with skills that are equivalent um, and, a, and a work ethic that is um, – is like a furnace, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put them on notice because happen, the girls will come. Yeah, it will, and it doesn't. It, the beautiful thing is that when we get there, it'll just be Fisher versus Fisher. You know, not boys yeah. versus girls. It'll just yeah. be angler on angler, and that is that's what we want as a sport. Where the power in that truly lies is the political um, and social value that recreational fishing will have because, you know, the, the latest um, survey, the National Rec Fishing Survey came out and blew people away with the value, yes, the economic yeah. value of recreational fishing to this country. Yeah. Now, you put another – There's it also said that there's twice as many men fishing as women. That's so right. if we yeah. bring the female numbers up to the same as the men, we're putting another, what's that, 30% of participation on top of what we've got now in numbers, then the throughput, the economic throughput, but also the um, the balance in mindset and intention that that automatically brings to shore up the perception of recreational fishing in the, in the minds of the public where we have the Pew Institutes and the, the various other um, people with philosophical um, attitudes that say that fishing should be stopped because they they like to um, suggest that it's a blokey blood sport. When we balance that out and say, really, there's just as many yeah. women fish as men, yeah, and right, you know, and yeah, when we are able to um, present that and say, I don't think so, sweetheart, then we um, are no longer under threat. And that is a big motivator for me. Yeah, because we, we should all yeah, be fishing. Yeah, we still got to fight. We got to fight. Because mm. um, I don't know if you heard, like Starlo. I asked him about that on the, on the one with him, and he was like, oh, in a hundred years, he's like, I reckon we won't. There won't be any fishing. Well, what do you think you about know, that? we've got a couple of of things there. There are there are countries in in Europe where um, the concept of fishing for sport catch and release is abhorrent they've decided and they've you know they've um they've decided that uh fish are sentient beings and you know feel and act and think the way we do which is a nonsense but they've the animal livers have um have gone down that path and convinced the population that that's the case and so if you are fishing for food then that's okay, you're hunting. But if you are fishing for sport and you intend to release it, that's against the law. Um, and then they'll put a, um, an, obviously a quota on the number of fish that you can take at any given time. And so recreational fishing um, as, a, 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 as we know it is, uh, is just no longer around. So that already is happening and we need to be aware. That's why it's very, very important to me, the other side of of the Women's Recreational Fishing League and getting the female participation up is a guard against that. We need yeah, to make yeah. sure that this happens because then we also have women talking in respect of um, of their way of looking at nature, symbiosis, the empowerment, 
um, and the respect that comes from um, being that intimate with nature, um, yeah. even when you're catch and release fishing, which is predominantly what I do, but I do love a feed fish. Um, there's also um, all the value, the social values with regards to connecting um, disparate groups. So from um, the old fellas down to the kids on the, the jetty rats, and they're able to talk on an equal level about fishing. You know, um, yeah. uh, all of those things. There's so many reasons why fishing should be kept and enhanced, but we need to make sure that we're seen to be doing the right thing. So, all you know, being a part of Ozfish or any of the rehabilitation sites, making sure we're doing the right thing with with our litter, making sure that um, we're just responsible custodians at all times and that we're talking about that, we're demonstrating that, that we're showing that overtly and also making sure that there's no ridiculous gender bias in um, in behaviour. If we do that, we, we remain and enhance our social acceptability and then it makes it harder for these people to come in and attack fishing and convince the rest of the population who don't fish that we're bad because we convince the rest of the population that don't fish of all our value. And that's that's the fight that we've got on our hands. That's what we have to do. And we have to be more responsible, I think, about um, our take. We need to recognise you know, there's there's all of these fights all the time that the commercials are so bad because they take so many more fish than me. What we need to remember is that we are millions and they are few. So there are some species where we're targeting them. For example, Mulloway kingfish down here in New South Wales, where we are, uh, the data shows we take as many, we extract as many fish yeah. as the commercials. You've got to look at the biomass, yeah. Correct. So if we continue to say it's not our fault and and therefore continue to fill our bag limits at all time, taking what we um, can instead of what we need, then uh, we're, we're vulnerable to attack. We need to just be grown-ups about this and say, yeah. you know, I'm going to be responsible about my behaviour to make sure that we're always able to fish, not because um, not because I did believe that recreational fishing is bad but just because as a, a mass you know on mass and I'm actively trying to say let's get more people doing this well we could deplete our stocks and there's nothing in that for anyone we want to leave the big fish in their breeding as much as possible until we want to eat it so like for going out and bagging out on snapper for example don't do that just yeah. take a fish and take then leave them yep Wasn't and then use how- the Aboriginals had it figured out, you know. They mm. that's how they lived basically. They went fishing every day, but they only took mm. what they needed. Yeah, to feed the group. And then I mean we've got a we've got certain um cohorts within Australia that'll go out and they're not going to come back in until they've bagged out, right? And then they're going to freeze all those fish and probably forget they've got it in the bottom of the freezer, um, mm. end up throwing it out and go back out and catch some more. Don't freeze it. Yeah, that's my opinion. Don't freeze it. Just go out, get what you want, cry a it so that you can keep it for a week or two, eat that and use it as an excuse to go out fishing again. Yeah. And I then in the meantime. Slowly getting better. 
We are. But in the meantime, the fish that we've left in there that we didn't take out have probably had another opportunity to spawn or whatever and, you know, and we protect our biomass. And if we're doing that and we actively say, because um, old mate next door might say, oh, well, you bring a fish for me. Well, no, how about you come and learn to fish? Yeah, and then Yeah, because it's not my job as a rec fisher to feed the community. That's what the commercials are there for. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's what we need to get back to is two things, education and ex- the experience. Yeah. Oh, fishing is, like I said, it's just possibly the most profound um, journey that you can embark upon if you're a non-fisher and yeah. uh, really get yourself back to what it means to be a human. Um, if, if more of us become that connected with the environment, I think, you know, we've got more hope of, of confronting what we've got going on. Oh, I know. It's crazy. And I've like, I'm sure you guys have done the same starling many, many times over, I'm sure. I've taken people fishing and they come back and they say like, this changed my life, you know. Mm. Yep. (laughs) It does. It happens to me all the time, mainly because I'm working with women who who have self-belief issues and and, um, limitations on what they think they can achieve. And you take them fishing and you teach them to be a self-reliant woman um, yeah. in their in their base instincts as a as a hunter-gatherer and you watch the rest of their life change. You watch their yeah. career soar, you yeah. know. Isn't that yeah, funny, eh? And it's just basically like I think it's just what our species is meant to do. So, yes. yeah, well, what I wanted to ask you about was um, moving on a little bit onto some uh, less heavy stuff. So, with your fishing these days, I wanted to ask you. So, what do you, what are, what is your fishing mainly consist of, and what's your most enjoyable like type of fishing? Okay, well, coming from a barra brawling background, where you know uh, just <laughs> bro- trolling broomsticks behind a motor with a, an esky full of beer, um, yeah. you'll be highly surprised to learn that um, if I could only ever chase one species. For the rest of my life, it'll be trout because I can do that in any country. And um, yeah. and I'd probably dry fly would be my, my go-to. So um, really? my – yeah, I just I just wow. love it. And that's because of – that's just because of the, the – you know, the entire spectrum, the whole being connected to Ooh. the elements of having to observe – of having to be convincing, you know, learning all about the um, – the answered one of my questions already because you – Oh, know, really? I wanted to ask, yeah, what – well, basically, let's go there. What is it about fly fishing? It's like – because I was going to ask you – I could tell without even asking you, right, that, that's probably going to be your favourite. And mm. I think – do you reckon that's just because of that? It's just because it's the most connected you can kind of be? I've, I'm a better fisher in all aspects of fishing because I took up fly um, yeah. because the, the level of connection to the whole ecosystem yeah. um, that, that you need to take on board in order to identify what they're eating. You know, when we're talking dry and we're talking about tiny little insects and things like that you're Mm. turning over rocks to see what's under the water Mm. you're watching hatches you're you're having to observe what's going on around rather than um than putting in a little fish that you know is going to be in the water right it's it's you have to become in tune with 
the whole of nature. And that's what fish are. They're, they're yeah. just in tune to every little change outside of their atmospheres, which are in the water. They're, they're in tune to what's going on in our world so that they're going to eat. So it's, it's the same. We have, to, we have to invert that and become in tune with what's going on in their world so that they'll eat. And, um, but the, it's more than that too with fly because with fly, the, you have to be so in the moment at all times because your cast, your presentation of a lure yeah. is um, all driven by the slightest um, accuracy or lack of accuracy in what your arm's doing or your hips are doing or, or whatever. And, and so there's, it's, it's finite, right? So yeah. um, I grew up as a martial artist and, um, and with, knowing that Tai Chi was the the um, absolute pinnacle of where I was going to get to, right? And with Tai Chi, coming from a full contact karate, which is what I did, only the black belts got to do Tai Chi. And when you got there, it was uh, recognised Tai Chi is the absolute slowdown of a punch or a kick or a whatever so that you can study in slow-mo the movement and muscle train Every yeah. um, every di- direct uh, movement, so that when you went to do it fast, your muscles were so precise, right? Well, I see fly sort of requires that kind of drill down yeah. into what am I? What's yeah. my muscles doing right now? Because that I'm watching that line go out, and it's all squiggly. So there's there's a, a minuscule um, error in my in my arm or in my body that is amplifying up to the tip of my rod and delivering a squiggly line and that's not what I want. So there's all of that Zen stuff for me that goes yeah. on. It is in the moment. I can't get out of the moment in fly fishing. I must be in the moment. And as a PTSD sufferer, you know yeah. yourself, that is that is uh, incredibly powerful for me. It's the best um, way to be in the moment, yeah, like you yeah. know, because really, kind of how you and I need to live our life is a basic Buddhist philosophy, which you know, don't worry about tomorrow, don't worry about yesterday, just be present, being in the moment, yeah. enjoy every moment as much as you can, treat all things as you want to be treated. Yeah, I find that also fascinating with the fly. What you said, all those things that you said, it's crazy because like you can't explain it to people who haven't fly fished. Like it's no. just. It's it's just next level, and it was funny because it was that's actually what got me into fishing in the first place. I just had this some kind of I it was almost like I would describe it as primeval fascination when I was growing up. I just wanted to catch trout, and I remember once I went to the news agency and I saw this like English fly fishing magazine, and mm. I just thought that was just the ducks nuts kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and the fact that you could fool, I got a couple of other things for you too. I reckon. You know what I reckon it is? It's because what you said, you're always present because you're always mending the line. Like mm. you're, you're fishing at 100%. I think that's why lures is so good too because you're yeah. kind of doing that but not as much. The other thing is the fly is the first way humans started fishing, really. That's right. Some kind of like way of casting a small weight out there. The other thing is, as you know, right, it's like it just feels better. Like your weight more connected, the solid line the way the rod's like longer and more noodly, like, yep. yeah, it's a funny, it's, it's a strange but thing. It's, but it's rhythmic as well. Yeah. 
Um, yes. there's, uh, there's a flow in it and your body feels good when you do it and there's nothing more exciting than yeah. getting a good cast out because it's so easy to get a bad cast. Just um, the best way. Yeah. I find it fascinating yeah. that anyone who's fly fish, when you ask them that question, they inevitably yeah. say some kind of fly fishing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So trout on dry fly. So have you have you fished New Zealand much or Tasmania? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um so it's just bizarre. I just watched a peahen jump up oh, there she is. Peahen jump up on my oh, deck. Yeah, it was like, good. Oh my goodness. Um uh yes, so I don't own peahens, by the way. That's why it was like uh, a, they a just distraction. Around, man. Yeah. yeah. Um yes, so I've fished in, in New Zealand several times sorry if you're hearing all sorts of honking going on um yeah several times now and north and south island um there's still a few places that i'm really really keen to get to i haven't done anything in the nelson area so um i'd love to do that um but yeah i've done tongariro um rukatiri yeah 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 down teanau is beautiful down on the south island love all of that in the braided streams um yeah it's um absolutely fantastic but i've got to say the fishing in um the trout fishing in the snowies at the moment is going off it is massive and um and Tassie is is um, is going really well too. In fact, we've stopped going to New Zealand of late just for the simple fact that the fishing here is so damn good. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I yeah. saw all your photos from the last couple of trips there. And, you know, like Tassie's like, I don't even know how many times I've been there, but lots. A um, couple of times in New Zealand, all those places that you said, plus mm. a few others. Um if you ever do want to go, I've got some sneaky maps I should give you. Yeah, a of course of. I want to go. I, met this <laughs> I want to go anywhere um, with this sneaky maps. Well, well, I met this guy who used to be a guide there. Yeah. And, you know, it was one of those conversations in a tackle store one day, right? He's working behind there. He's like, oh, yeah, because I was going to New Zealand. This is like back in the 90s. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll show you some spots. I used to be a guide there. And he also guided in a few other places. I'll mark some stuff. I just kind of thought, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. I come in there one day, he's got the maps. And, like, he was like, these are all the best runs, basically, all over. Mostly South Island, which is where mm. I fished, and up the top a bit. But, you know, Tongariro is, like, something you just got to go do. And like, Yeah. yeah the it's an entirely there, different. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty smart. Like, yeah. Um, I managed to hook up to, one. like, I had to go down to, like, four pound, six pound litres just to get bites, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I managed to hook up to one um, and uh, got the shock of my life. You know, you, you're standing <laughs> almost shoulder to oh, shoulder yeah. with Kiwis and, and you've got to do the whole um, sort of Z cast to get it, get your bobber up higher and oh, and, yeah. your, and then bring it down. Is that with like the open flow. season or something? Or, I've seen uh, photos of that. No, uh, yeah, just regular. Yeah, just regular down actually in town at, I can't remember the, the you know right where the Tongariro is when we were just went down to oh, below the Rotorua. bridge so there's people everywhere yeah, and I know. Um, yeah. and um, yeah I managed to hook up amongst everyone and just had no concept because I was new to fishing and um, just sort of did the whole standard deliver thing. And, of course, it busted me off because they're gigantic. They, oh, uh, Steve said, no, you're meant to run down and follow it. And it's like, seriously? Have you seen yeah. how fast that river's flowing on a drought? But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. everyone was they're a bit grumpy. A they're just a different species over there. They fight like barra. 
Yeah, and that's what I sort of made the mistake as a barra brawler. It was like, right, standard deliver time, and I'm just going to turn your head. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> not with that leader, sweetie. <laughs> no, no. So what would yeah. be like? Um, what would be like your dream fishing trip? Like if you, because I know you fish pretty widely. Um, and I noticed actually there's another thing I wanted to ask you about South America. You went there recently. Um, but I don't know, did you do much fishing or that was more just looking? I did go fishing, but I didn't, um, it had rained. I was in Patagonia, um, and, um, it had rained and the, and the river was, river was up. And so I went on the Petra Hue, which is a, um, a big King, uh, you know, your Chinook river, um, that was meant to be where I was meant to go Chinook fishing on the first day and it was um, too high. And so they took me to the Rahu and um, I was with a non-English speaking guide for that one. And we fished this other river and I got nine fish and, um, and thought that that was, you know, I was really disappointed. Um, It was a big day really crystal clear water and he had me cast out of my six no five weight rod and he had me casting a um a seven foot lead line shooting tip or something like that because we had to get down wow. the it looked really wow. shallow but it was really deep river and, and really mm-hmm. um fast so it was such a hard thing to cast it was awful Anyway, then my mum got sick the next day, so I wasn't able to take day two of my three days. But on the third day, my English-speaking guide took me back out, took me on the Petra Hue River, and um, we didn't catch a thing. I had three follows, um, but he just said, if I'd have known it was this high, I wouldn't have brought you here. But it was amazing anyway, because I've got volcanoes around me, and they, they call them catarafts, so two inflatable um, skiffs. It's sort of like a... A zodiac, but you dis, you know disconnect the front so that you've got your two points like a catamaran, and then they strap them together with ply. And I'm sitting up the front on a on a folding chair that's sort of bungee strapped in or something like that, casting away while they're rowing backwards to keep us going. And we were the Petra Hue is a Grade Four whitewater rafting river, <laughs> right? Yeah, so you're I've, riding the rapids. Yeah, and I'm up the front, and it's going up and down, and it's like, don't you're right, don't cast while we go through this. It's really no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> That's the most yeah. exhilarating fishing trip I've ever been on, and I did, um, I did get to see three follows on my, on my, um, my stuff. But he just said, "Oh man, that was that was um, a really, really, yeah, really tough conditions." But he said, um, "But I heard you caught fish on the, on the Rahu," and I said, "Yeah, I did only nine. He said. That's bloody brilliant. That's a really tough river. So then I was chuffed (laughs) because they weren't big. You know, you see the people's um, photos of I've been fishing in Patagonia and they've got all these massive fish and the biggest one I got was about 50 centimetres and I thought, oh, man, I've got to get one of these horses. But no, that wasn't Uh, wasn't my experience. Any day with nine fish is good. The other thing is when you do those sort of trips, right, people don't realise, like, you've got to be lucky really and mm. like there's a certain amount of luck and look i you know got down to the fact that you know when i used to do all my stuff when i was doing magazine work like i would just pick the best time of year to be anywhere 
Yeah. And just to give yourself like, and even then it didn't always pay off, but you got to go. And if you just sort of go on and then like you're at the mercy of the weather anyway, but yeah, sorry, I actually did ask you two questions there. I mean, one, but um, yeah, so the other one was about, um, so if you, your favorite type of fishing, if you had one sort of, is there anywhere particular like that you that you haven't been yet that you'd love to tick off the list? Or? Oh, look, I just watched um, uh, Scotty Mitchell uh, release a giant tarpon at um, Florida somewhere off fly oh, and said to him, dude, um, they really need an emoji of a person, some idiot jumping up and down excitedly because that is the one I need right now. That is yeah, a um, bucket list fish for me and he knew that going over there. So um, I was really excited that he caught one. I said, oh, man, I just want to catch tarpon on fly in in, um, in Florida area. Um, well, I that's want... somewhere where you can go. Like, is, I'm pretty sure that's certain times of year. You're pretty much guaranteed, eh? Yeah, well, you certainly guaranteed shots. I mean, um, I still haven't caught a bonefish or a permit on fly, and I want to do that. But rooster mm. fish okay. in their own, oh, yeah, in their own environment. Fish, yes. Yeah, I would love to do that. I would love peacock bass in their own environment. Not here, oh, yeah. thanks. Um, yeah. And uh, and all on fly. You know, I'd love to do all of all of that stuff. Um, they they are the main they're the main ones that I've still got on my bucket a list. Permit, peacock bass. What was the other one you said? Rooster fish. Oh, rooster and, fish, yeah. And, giant, and the big tarpon. Yeah, tarpon, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a chaser of game fish. I'm, uh, I like sport fish over game yeah, fish. I was going to say, they're mostly, that sounds like a sport fish CV. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I'm, I'm not a game fisher. I don't play well with others when it comes to fishing. So yeah. when, um, I mean, I do very well, obviously, but the whole concept of being on strike and it's someone's turn when a rod goes off, I, that's not me. Yeah, <laughs> if it goes up on my rod, I'm yeah. taking it. <laughs> it's nice to go, like, go and do once. Like, I'm glad I went and caught marlin and sailfish and all that. But, yeah, it's kind of like, it's funny, eh? But some dudes just get right into it and they get off on it. Oh, they love they're it. Mostly, they're mostly skippers too, you'll find. That's the thing is with trolling. Um, trolling as a skipper is a lot of skill and I love it. Um, trolling as a person holding a rod, yeah. I get over that really quickly. So, uh, but being yeah. the skipper, where I where I'm knocking in and out, I'm reading the sounder, I'm telling people what to expect, I'm telling them what's coming up, and and I'm adjusting runs and all of that. You know, that's that's angling. So, yeah, um, right. yeah I, the the other part feels like dangling to me. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what about? Um, I've got to ask you about brim on lures. Oh my God, Brimon lures is it, oh, they're just such a challenging, feisty little buggers, you know, and um, they're stubborn, um, and just knowing knowing how long to have that pause, you know, and how long to wait and leave it there so that you can get yeah. one. They're, they're the not, right amount hard, I tell people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing that you know, what I've enjoyed recently is um, learning that really big ones can feed on the surface out in the middle of nowhere. Have you come across that? Oh yeah. Well, look, I mean, I don't know because if you know much about the flat, like the flat stuff, so that really kind of it was happening everywhere, but it kind of really took off in WA because we've got this weird estuary where it's just like masses and masses of flats. And then people started catching on, but then people started just fishing out in the open and just thinking, yeah. oh, well, if they're on the flats, like what if they're anywhere? And like, yeah, it's, 
it's crazy. Like I always basically say, man, if there's water and it's connected to the ocean, there's brim in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, recently, um, Steve and I were out fishing together and um, there's a, a submerged snag that we know about. We were over sort of near that, but um, there was something slurping um, bait off the surface and I watched the way it rolled and all that. Steve said, I reckon that's a big brim. And so um, we cast at it and mine landed right on the spot and hooked up immediately on this really big brim. And it was sort of out in the middle of nowhere, but it was it was taking yeah. and rolling. There was obviously – it had herded up a bait ball of some description and um, I landed right in the spot. So I got that one and that was one to Joe. But recently I was out on my own. And I was nowhere near the snag, but I saw the same. It's a particular kind of um, behaviour. It doesn't look like mullet or anything else. And I looked at it and I went, yeah. I reckon that's a big brim. And it's only big ones that are confident enough to do it, I think. And it was well out in the middle of nowhere. So I cast out it and I hooked up straight away, but I didn't land it because I was um, second-guessing myself, basically. Um, uh, but now that's a proven concept to me. So, yeah, yeah. keep your that's eye out for those sort of things. Um, so would you say 90%, what's most of your brim fishing on Lewis, look, are you casting to snags pretty much and box? Yeah, or? mainly casting to snags and and yeah, um and that's mainly uh, and that's structure. Yeah, the territory that you're fishing, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. um, yeah, it's basically always on structure. Um, but they're sometimes out in the flats. So when we're when it's um whiting on surface um season, quite yeah. often we'll get. Um, we'll be targeting the whiting on the surface and the brim will be there as well. Oh, and that's yeah. a challenge too because you've got them following you and, of course, if it's a whiting following you, you've got to keep going. But if it's a brim following you, you have to pause. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you've got to try and work out what's following you by trial yeah. and error. Yeah, <laughs> and that's funny. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's made me realise, right, like um, um, so most – there's a lot of snag fishing in WA but a lot of what we're fishing for brim – Particularly like in kind of the remote areas where not many people go, like you, yeah, there's you just fishing kind of open water, mm-hmm. like we just drip, like a, we've got a lot of lakes over here that have got them as well, and so really all you do is just drift, like you just yep. drift. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I guess, but do you get um, are there is there like most of the places that you fish is there a lot of pressure, or are you sort of getting out every now and again into spots where the fish are kind of like not really that educated no it's 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 very well educated fish here yeah, um yeah. so you've got to be constantly changing yeah. up what you're doing they're like we got metro some, fish i call them metro yeah fish. i mean we're 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 not metro but we are um yeah, we are a fishing coast you know yeah. we're a we're a fishing destination and so um yeah there's a lot of pressure on the fish that um that we're fishing to yeah yeah so they're pretty educated they are. Yeah. Yep. You've yep. got to get one day when you ever get a chance, you've got to – WA is good. Um, there's other places too, South Australia and a little bit in Victoria, but there are spots over here where, like, you know, we've got places where the fish just, like, they've never seen people. Yeah, <laughs> I would it's like that. fucking wild, man. Like, yeah, I would like honestly, that. Honestly, if I – some of the – I kind of don't really talk about the numbers and that much because, honestly, you'll just think it's full of shit. And, look, it's not always on tap, but – some places it is, and it's mainly just the remoteness. 
Um, but I'm noticing, like, you know, it's still getting harder and harder. But there's places at Shark Bay, right, like where I went um, not even that long ago, um, and the brim were coming up to the boat and they were just behaving in a way that, like, you, you could just tell, Joe, like, they, those fish had never seen people, I reckon. Yeah, it's and they were like, cool. you, would, you would hook one and the others would all just follow it up. And just yeah. like, and even when they see the boat, they don't spook or anything, and they just hang around. And the because I was like, I was saying to my mate, gone, oh, oh man, we're going to spook and we're coming down too close on them, you know. Because if that was blackies, you and I would know that they'd be yeah. gone, you know. Yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't care at all. It was crazy. that's amazing. It's nice to know there's still spots like that, you know. Isn't there? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, we we've managed to fish to some sooty grunter on some. Um, on some big stations uh, up north a couple of times where it was like that, you know. Yeah. They just weren't expecting humans to be there and so they were just going about their, their yeah, day. I like that. It's kind of, they imagine, like, that's how fishing was when white people first got here, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hey, one thing I did want to, we'll have to start wrapping up soon, but I've got a couple of little other things I wanted to ask you about. Um, we didn't. One thing we haven't really kind of touched on much is your... Um, your art and your creative process because mm. obviously um, you do the magazine layout and you've, um, you know, you do other, other stuff as well, your paintings, um, which have, you know, been very popular and sold very well, I know. So I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about that and about um, uh, what you find a kind of it does for you and, and different things that you um, do to kind of... Uh, look after that side of you if that makes sense mm. well fly tying is a new thing to me and that sort of <laughs> that's oh. sort of um that sort of come nice. on with uh and Man, that is art isn't it it is yeah and the creativity and that i mean that brings me right back into taking fishing completely um under my control yeah, so man, that i can go out in. Yeah, I am all in. So I can go out, I can have a look at what's in the stomachs of trout I fish and then go and Google what those things look like or look at some patterns and maybe modify things and try and come up with something when I next go out. Um, and I've taken to fishing fly tournaments recently. That's my new gig. So I might go out um, in one session um, have a look at what's going on, what's around, and then go back to my cabin, tie up a whole heap of stuff and take that with me. So that's um, – I find that incredibly um, yeah. rewarding from a creative perspective. So you're not um, just fly fishing. You're making the fly. Yeah. 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 And so um, – It's that connection. It is. It is. And it's taking – it's that whole self-reliance thing too, right? So yeah. um, then – um the other things how I, how I maintain it um I've I've basically I've turned my entire life creative whether it be um the garden whether it be the studios that Steve and I film our videos in I make those um I've taken up woodworking I've taken up so that I can build sets and and build bits and pieces um obviously graphic design and illustration um is a big part of my life and I and I bring that to every job that I've I've got and then the painting that's that's a um, a self-expression side. I don't 
get to do a lot, but I when I decide that I'm painting, when that's what I need, then I become yeah. a bit feverish with regards to that. And yeah. um, that's that's my life generally. I I tend to get feverish on stuff. So it's a common trait I find with artists because I paint as well as you know in watercolors mm. mainly but mm. yeah it's like you have periods where you don't do anything for a while and then you're just smashing them out yeah and, and you've just because you just got to get it out of your system yeah. so yeah you reckon, and, have you ever thought about trying to like do it more regular um yeah it just I doesn't pay that. me enough <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the I mean is, yeah yeah true it's the time because yeah. often i've wondered like oh maybe i should do like a a set routine but now i'm wondering if like it's a bit like uh you know um the obstacle is the way maybe the yeah. other way is better yeah maybe i also feel like if you if you uh or my gut feel is if i tried to push myself to create regularly it might become like a job as opposed yeah, to being natural and free-flowing yeah. because if it's not there if it's not working there was one painting I had where there was something wrong with it and I knew it but I couldn't see it and yep. I left it alone for 18 months still on the easel in my face nagging at me um, because I used to just paint in my in my um, foyer in the house and mm -hmm. um and it would nag me every day. I got to the point where I'd turn away from it because it's like, I don't know what it is, but, and you said, I can see what's wrong with that. You remember the one, the Barramundi. I yeah. can see a problem with that right up front. And um, and I was just like, oh, I just can't work it out. And then I saw it, I changed it, and it's still not my favourite, um, but a lot of people absolutely love it. Um, yeah. But... Um, yeah, I, I got it done. But then when I picked up and I knew where to go from there, it was done within three days. Yeah, it spent crazy, the most time of anything on my easel. <laughs> so block. yeah, yeah, it's yep. a, it's a it's a thing. I think it's just something that happens. Writers, the same thing happens, you know. And mm. so I sort of find like when you're in the flow, like just take advantage of it, you know. And yep. when when it's coming, smash it out. Yep, and then the paint won't dry quick enough and, you know, and you're just yeah. hovering around like, dry, dry, dry. Yeah. It's funny, like, yeah. what we see too, what you said about the Barramundi one, I was remembering now. It's funny how, like, in almost every painting, you ask any artist, they'll say, oh, there's something about it they don't like, right? Yeah. But then you'll find people who that's what they love about it. Mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, my favourite fish painting is my brim. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that one, the blue one yeah, where it's yeah. coming at? Yeah. Um, yeah. But my favourite painting overall that I've done has nothing to do with fishing. So, oh, okay. you know, and that was my last one that I did, which is about the bushfires. Um, oh, yeah, and, I remember. Yeah, I saw that. That's very yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, I just, it just Actually, speaks to me list. all the time. Because it's funny too, like certain subjects, right, you want to paint. So I've got this folder on my computer and, because um, I know like this winter too, so I'm not working at the market. So I've got a bit of time off. I'll have a bit of time to paint. It'll be raining outside. You know what I mean? It's like no one's home, light the fire, make some tea, look at the rain. And I know I'm going to like paint good stuff. And it was interesting that one of the things I've like some of the images I started collecting this year was like, yeah, from the bushfires, firefighters. And I felt like that was something. Because the other thing is uh, I really like black. 
Yep. Like, and I like painting building off black because there's something about the contrast and the mm. contrast between black and colours. The other thing is it's kind of, I know it sounds silly, but it's like you're starting from a dark place and then making something nice. But and I think mm. fire has that kind of feel about it. Yep. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, I come from, uh, I work in contrast colours, so I'll, I'll work a background colour and then um, do the complementary colour over the top to make the colours pop. It's a yeah, very similar yeah. thing to what you're talking yeah. about yeah. with regards yeah. to coming from the black, yeah. 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 Oh, the other thing I did want to ask you about before we wrap up was um, just so um, future projects. So what's mm -hmm. on the... What's on the cards for Joe coming up? And have you got, and that includes like future fishing trips as well as like, uh, you know, business kind of related stuff? Yeah, all right. So my biggest thing at the moment is um, trying to, I'm trying to disarm the um, excuse brigade with regards to women not wanting to um, pick up a rod late in life and um, just disarm the whole thing. Oh, it's all right for you, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, I picked up a rod when I was in my 30s, so it was, as far as I'm concerned, late in life. But I am um, I have a pretty famous surname when it comes to fishing. Yeah. So, um, And women don't realise that that's relatively new to me. Um, so what I'm doing to, as a metaphor, for that is I've taken on comp competitive fly fishing um, and my goal is to make the Australian women's team um, in the next three years. Oh, nice. um, so that's why I'm having to learn tying flies yeah. based on what I discover out in the waters because if I – when – I should say, when I make the team, I'll be sent over to fly fish somewhere in another country and it'll be on, it'll literally on the fly, you know. Um, yeah. So that's my big thing because um, I'm, whereas I'm, you know, picking up a rod in your 30s for the first time is late. Being a fly fisher with 10 years casting experience is really young as a fly fisher. So, um, yeah, yeah. So this is my metaphor for for starting something late in life, you know. And so I've been doing this for a year, uh, or yeah, coming up to a year competitive fly fishing. So my next big fishing trip, um, I've got a couple coming up. We've got um, a barra yak um, event where, or it's a, a getaway for five women I'm hosting five women on Mondra and Dam fishing for Barra out of kayaks um, and staying on a houseboat that's going to be really exciting um, and then we've got the Flat X which or the Flatty X which is our next X Factor tournament um, the women um, mentoring tournament that'll be fun and that's right before I head off to the Australian National championships for fly down in Tassie and that's where all my attention really is um, f my brain power is focused on that particular trip because I've got to qualify so I've got to keep uh, um, yeah. catching Human fish point. in tournaments to qualify. Yeah. I've got to fish three um, national tournaments in a year in sorry it's three national championships in a row before I can even qualify for a women's team so um, this will be my second one in a row which makes next year's season incredibly important for me I've got a long way to go 
but um, I've got to the point where I'm not coming last in the tournaments now, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. And you said you've been doing a year, but a you year. mean fly yep. fishing. Yeah. Fly fishing comps for yeah. a year. Oh, comp, yeah, fly yeah, fishing okay. tournaments. Yeah, I was yeah. Say, I've you've been, been fishing longer. <laughs> I've been fly casting for ten yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. And then and look, no, I do so... tell people when they're getting into it, I say the first ten years, just think about that as like your apprenticeship kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So and I'm then you that's... sort of start to develop yeah. you know, oh man, you you really are fucking all in. Like I love it. <laughs> like I love the fact that you just like Man, I'm going to make the Australian team. You're going to, you're probably going to like represent Australia and like go fish in Europe somewhere. You know what I'm I mean? I'm hoping so. Like, I'm I, hoping can, so. I can see it. I can see it, man. Like, you just, mm. where do you, where do you get that kind of like drive, that kind of motivation from? The women. The yeah. women that I'm inspiring, yeah. recognizing that if I can, um, I've already, I, I can, genuinely say that I know that I have changed the lives of at least 10 individuals in a profound way just by introducing them to fishing. Yeah. Um, now that we've got the Women's Recreational Fishing League about to go national, the concept of being able to influence um, women around the country to jump on board and start the journey that is going to profoundly um, change their life and empower them is it gives me so much energy it's ridiculous and I just yeah. genuinely hope that the blokes around will see after maybe listening to this they will see that it's not a um, a sexist or gender biased initiative it's about no. breaking that shit down and yeah. getting rid of it you know we want to throw that out with the trash but we've got work to do and the sooner that we can reach our 50-50 which is going to require the fellas encouraging women to get on board connect with this mob here they're going to help you and fast track your fishing and um, achieve this goal then the quicker we get rid of the w and we stop women's um you know any any sense of of women only comps just get that shit out of the way let's all go fishing together and uh and get back to just what it really is but just as humans as opposed to you know a dick and a fanny <laughs> oh man you summed it up absolutely perfectly <laughs> oh, i think that's probably the uh the spot to wrap it up i couldn't say it any better joe you're, you're an absolute inspiration um i love your work i love following what you're doing um, so, yeah, just to finally wrap up, could you tell people um, if they want a bit more information about this and where they can find you on socials? I'll put all the links in the comments as well, but, yeah, if you want to just let yeah. everybody know. Look, the easiest thing that I've come across, you've probably come across it too, is the whole link tree concept. Um, yep. I, we have a link tree, which is um, L-I-N-K-T-R dot double E forward slash WRF League. That's it. And um, okay, if you cool. if you go to that, you will find links to our websites, our socials, our email, um, leadership application forms, fundraising, everything that we're doing, um, comps, all of that sort of thing will be all in that spot. But we're, awesome. yeah, we're on Instagram and Facebook um, as our as our touch points. Plus, we have. 
um, the website where people can register, to, uh, women can register to come to our virtual league nights. I'm sorry, fellas, but, you know. Um, and we have many, many men who are um, uh, on board as supporters and actively in there talking, joining our forums and all of that as well. Yeah, and look, Joe, with that kind of stuff, man, all I say is, like, I get it. You know what I mean? And those dudes that don't, don't worry about them. Oh, we don't. We just, they can go away. (laughs) They We understand, you got to understand, it's a process, right? It's not Mm. not always going to be like this, but Mm. we've got a lot of ground to make up. That's what I always say too. It's just a process. We're travelling a road. We will get to the point where none of this is necessary anymore. Help us get there. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's what we want. We want to be irrelevant. That's it. All right, Joe. thank you very much for giving me a couple of hours of your time. I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat. I have too. Thank you so much. It's been good. Awesome. All right. Thanks for coming on. And um, no doubt we've got to, we've got to take something up one day. We'll have to go for a flick somewhere. How good would that be? I'm going to hold All you right. to that, Ira. <laughs> no worries. All right. Sure. Thanks, Joe. Thank Bye. you. Cheers. <laughs> Intense chemistry.